Here we are. <laughs> Roller Altaburo Vintage Baseball Podcast. We are talking to vintage baseballists and other enthusiasts, coast to coast, border to border. It's kind of the thing we do here. Uh, it's been a busy month. It's been a crazy month. Uh for you listeners of the show, you notice, well, not a lot of content has come out lately. Uh, well, we've been booking the same guest over and over and over that, that has not shown up over and over and over. And uh, and Rudy's been busy, and I've been busy, and it's been a bad month for the show. So here's what I can say. We are getting right back to work. Uh, after We are going to have a couple more interviews uh, within the next week, and we are going to shove as much content out there before our Christmas break uh, that we can. Uh, I'm really anxious now that I'm not acting in the haunt anymore as tomorrow night's my last night. Uh, I'm going to get right on this. Uh, so here's the situation, and we're co-hosted tonight by Jeff Cougar Kozleski of the Greenfield Village Lottie Daz. Jeff, how you doing? Cheers. Having a good night. Good Monday. Sort of. Sort of. Uh, so Jeff went ahead, and when he found out about our guest, was an author of a book about Henry Chadwick, he he dove into the material, uh, as he would, being a, a historian, a teacher, uh, somebody who's very interested in every vintage baseball thing he comes across. Uh, so... He went right into the book, and the author of the book is who we, we've we booked for three weeks in a row now to show up on the show, and, and he has not. Uh, and, then he, and then he will ask to come back on next week. And so we've tried. We tried to give you out. this gentleman three times, and I apologize to everybody because I know that there were many people out there very interested in what this author had to say about things. We tried. So we're going to do the next best thing for tonight. Uh, since you wanted to hear about Chadwick so much, and that's why you're listening right now at this second, uh, we're going to interview Jeff about the book that he read for this interview. And he's <laughs> going to tell you about Chadwick. And, uh, and I don't know, I don't have any questions prepared for this kind of thing. I don't know what we can do. Uh, I had the question. We, That's the darndest thing is I had the question. He has to interview himself. Uh, so, Jeff, I'm just going to throw questions at you. If you know the answers or if you don't, <laughs> whatever. And obviously bring up everything that you know and have notes on. But the questions you have will never be answered tonight. <laughs> Jeff, I'm talking That's to you. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, man, this is, you know what? Here we are. I got I got my notes ready. I had my questions ready. And, you know, I, I know life, life can happen sometimes, but, you know, there's only only so many times that you can swing and miss at the ball before uh, before somebody finally has to tell you that, no, it's no more. Nothing makes me feel lesser than a big deal than, than a, 
a guest who ghosts us three weeks in a row. I I, I feel so small right now. Uh, help me, Jeff. Tell I'm me. here for you. I am. I am here for you. You have created arguably the greatest vintage baseball podcast uh, known to this this side of the solar system. Uh, so I, you know what? It's it's his loss. I say, by golly, his loss. By golly. Uh, you know what would really put me in a good mood right now that would really get me motivated to go on with this podcast and what would do that? Jonathan McLean. Oh, let me, let me go dig up Jonathan McLean. Jonathan McLean in his, in his news breaks, sports breaks, as it were, uh, really puts me in a good mood and gets me motivated. So why don't we break that out? And then we'll talk Chadwick. And uh, we'll talk our top five scary Halloween movies, too. We're going to do it all, Jeff. <laughs> Jonathan McLean. Right. That's the Rolling Around the Marrow News Break for Thursday, August 8th, 1867. I'm Jonathan McLean, Dateline, Chicago. The Nationals continued their tour of the West with a game against the Excelsior Club of the Windy City. The Nats were licking their wounds after a tough loss to the Rockford Baseball Club and hoped for a good performance today. The temperature peaked at over 100 degrees, causing the home team to pause for water breaks during the course of the game. They clearly needed more than just some ice water as the Washington Club put up 33 runs in the first three innings, including 21 in the third. The national defense was stout, only surrendering four runs all day. Shortstop George Wright outscored the Excelsiors on his own, coming across seven times, including a stealing of home in the top of the ninth, with his team already firmly on top. Final score, Nationals 49, Excelsiors 4. The Chicago writers were furious about this result, going as far as to accuse the Nationals of intentionally throwing the first game in order to garner more betting results for themselves. Ball Players Chronicle editor Henry Chadwick took particular exception to this, vouching for the Nationals' gentlemanly deportment on and off the field, their manly styles of play, and their skills as experts in the game. In other news, the Coca in other news in Kokomo, Indiana, the Wildcat Club took the bark off the Burr Oak Club of Clifton last week by a score of 41 to 23. Two days later, they played the Peru Baseball Club and scored 27 more runs than their previous game. Unfortunately, this is not where John Wayne walked off into the sunset with Grace Kelly. <laughs> Batting was the principal feature as the Peruvians hit 13 home runs and cruised to the victory by a final score of 132 to 68. Today's news break is brought to you by the Lady Friends of the Oriental Baseball Club of New York. Come for the bounteous supper. Stay for the 3 a.m. dance hop. I'm Jonathan McLean, and this has been your Rolling Around the Barrel news break. All right, Jonathan McLean with his news break. It's the best thing we do on the show that I have nothing to do with. There's some good ones. There's some good ones we were reading about earlier today. The, the uh, 
the uh, Ball Players Chronicles of the Henry Chadwick thing, and Chadwick wrote the Ball Players Chronicle. There's one from October 31st that I was uh, looking through, and it's a lot about Detroit and how Detroit is like they just lost the game to Chicago, and it wasn't good, and they were so sad about it, and just like such deep writing that the that the Ball Players Chronicle does. These are these are awesome, and I can't thank Paul Hunkley enough for sending me all his stuff for this because there's just for the historian in me, there's just you know you got to dig deep into the the nuances of this, but there's some silly little things in there that they just that are that are all over. Absolutely. If I had an intern, uh, I'd have him splice together all of your episodes of the news breaks. <laughs> And just release it as uh, one episode, but I ain't got that kind of time, and I don't have an intern, so. <laughs> well, uh, not with that attitude, you won't. <laughs> also true. <laughs> uh, so the book in question was uh, titled "The Father of Baseball: A Biography of Henry Chadwick." The author was Andrew Schiff. As we said, we had tried multiple times to have him on the show. He's a little busy. And uh, so things happen in life. What can you do? Uh, Jeff, you went through the material. What can you tell us about, you know, before we talk about the things Chadwick did for baseball, in baseball, can you tell us who Henry Chadwick was? Yeah, so Henry Chadwick is uh, really one of the, the pioneering figures of the game, which is, uh, which is kind of funny to say, considering he never really played any sort of meaningful baseball. Um, and I would have loved to have asked Andrew about the relationship between um, Henry Chadwick and many of the other pioneers of baseball, you know, of this era of the mid to late 19th century. Uh, and then he, he goes into it a lot in, in his book, but I know recently in, in the vintage baseball world, uh, the big the big voice that has really not gone heard is Doc Adams. Um, you know, Doc Adams, the petition to get him inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I think deservedly so, the man should have been in long ago. Um, he gets referenced a few times here, but, you know, Doc Adams was a ball player. He played. Chadwick did not. Chadwick was a writer. He was a writer, but also one of the, the pioneers of, of scorekeeping. Uh, and so... Uh, Chadwick as a, you know, as, as an influencer of baseball, um, he put together, you know, periodicals, he put, he wrote articles, he traveled with teams, and he documented a lot of the things that in turn uh, would get circulated around and that we as historians 150 plus years later can look at and analyze scores and reactions and how things were supposed to be. But even in this time, uh, he was very well respected. He was uh, often given honorary positions and honorary titles because he was a guy that really turned the American attitude of, base of baseball from kind of this like country bumpkin game into what we would consider our really our, our national pastime really helped to supplant cricket which did hold that title. Uh, now baseball is the, the owner of that. So Chadwick had a big role to play there. 
was Chadwick interested in cricket statistics before he started in on baseball statistics? Yeah, he, he's, he's, there's a lot of writings uh, that he does on cricket. Um, when when I look through uh, the the ball players chronicles uh, again, and a big big thank you to to Paul Hunkley for for sending me his copies of them. Um, when you look through the ball players chronicles, uh, there's usually a story. Um, it's usually about eight to ten pages. The first full newspaper page is one game, and it's like an inning by inning detail. It's like it's like if somebody transcribed the radio broadcast. That's what this thing feels like. But you go through six, seven pages of baseball, you get to about page eight, um, and by page eight, uh, you get the you get the cricket scores. Uh, so the cricket scores, the cricket statistics are are in there as well. So yeah, so he, I mean, he definitely is a fan of cricket as being an Englishman. Um, you know, he he followed cricket and does a lot with that. Um, but then begins the process of kind of transitioning over to baseball. So it's safe to say that the reason why baseball stats are kept to this day is because cricket stats were kept. Yeah. And, and because, you know, because of these, these newsletters and these periodicals and these newspaper, you know, accounts of it, it's something that, you know, really in a sense helped to create superstars, you know, it's, it's almost like, um, you, when you read the accounts, the writers have such an influence on the player and can really build a player up. And I mean, you can still make the argument today. That's what TV announcers are supposed to do. That's what radio people are supposed to do. You're supposed to make these people sound very important. So by publishing statistics, you know, look at this guy. Like I, I look through, well, I don't. Jonathan McLean does. When Jonathan McLean looks, <laughs> when Jonathan McLean looks through these statistics, and he looks at the box scores. It's, it's a player's name, their position, the number of outs they made, and the number of runs that they scored. Um, you know, for somebody who's maybe nowhere near this, like that can be a pretty good source of the importance of these players. And then you get down below it, and then it talks about fly balls caught, who was the umpire, duration of the game. Like these are all things that, again, like maybe new upcoming teams can read about and go, gee, our game was four hours long, but the Atlantics and the Mutuals played a game that was two hours 15. How did they get through a game that quickly? What are we doing that's differently? How does this score this? So the fact that Chadwick is keeping statistics like this, you know, is, is helping new teams kind of discover the game. It's helping new teams understand, you know, what statistics are arguably the best of the best are, and like the Atlantics, the Excelsiors, Mutuals, et cetera, what they're doing and maybe how a new team can discover it and in turn spread the game even further. So if you're doing an accurate 1860s, uh, or yeah, we'll go 1860s uh, because that's what you're the most familiar with. If you're scorekeeping accurately, for an 1860s vintage baseball club, what are the stats that you're keeping track of? So, so it depends. And and uh, and and our author here, you know, Andrew does a puts in diagrams of what scorecards would have looked like. And I'm I'm pulling up his book and looking at it here. 
Um, but like I said, you know, the in, initially here we're talking about outs and runs. Uh, one of the greater measures of a baseball player's skill is did they make an out at all? And if they had, you know, zero outs, they got, they were, you know, it's a four for four day, a five for five day, you know, that's, or, you know, in the case of this type of game, you know, probably like nine for nine, 10 for 10 or whatever. Um, you know, that's a, what they call a clean game. That's no outs made. Um, you know, that's the sign of a good thing. Plus, Chadwick is not a guy that's into home runs. He's not a guy. He thinks you're using up of, you know, an undue amount of energy by hitting the ball hard and running as fast as you can around. No, just hit the ball into holes, place your hits well, and place your hits accordingly, uh, and in turn, you know, let the other guys move you around. That's, you know, real, truly skillful, skillful ball here, so. Yeah, if you're looking to score the game, you know, and you want to see like what players are really doing well, uh, yeah, you would mention like outs and runs. Um, you get a little bit further on, then they start to talk about how the out was made. Uh, and so you've got like, was it an out on the fly or was it an out on the bound? Um, you know, or, you know, did they, did anybody make their bases? You know, based on a walk, which sometimes are scored as errors, sometimes are scored as hits, you know, just all kind of changes and evolves from there. But it all boils down to outs and runs. Uh, and Jeff's getting most of his content on this from the book that we're talking about, The Father of Baseball, a biography of Henry Chadwick, written by Andrew Schiff. Uh, when he becomes, do you, I want to phrase this, uh, in a certain way, uh, Chadwick becomes the chairman of the first rules committee. Do you know, was there a lot in the book about that? Um, I mean, there's, there are things going on towards kind of towards the, you know, the, the middle sections of it. Um, you know, there, there are people that are concerned about how, how adept he is because he wasn't a player. Um, but then that kind of leads into the, the questions about, you know, the, the, the Spalding case of, of going on later about, um, was, uh, was this game a truly American innovation or was it like Chadwick said, you know, a, an evolutionary thing? Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are references to it for sure. He went into the Hall of Fame in 1938. Doc Adams has never gone into the Hall of Fame. Right. In your opinion, why? Man, it's it's, it's a great question. You know, I, I I have my own things um, with regard to that, like you know about Hall of Fames and how Hall of Fames get chosen. Like that's the thing that has been debated ad nauseum and probably will continue to be debated ad nauseum about why certain people are in and um, why others are, are not. I think it, it kind of evolved into the, um, you know, like the early on what, you know, the Hall of Fame is essentially like the tool for the Writers Association. The Writers Association is the one that saw the players game in and game out they knew who was performing at their best and when, who was not performing at their best. They saw them, literally, truly saw them. 
Um, you know, and so the Writers Association has this, you know, concept and ideology of what it's supposed to be and who it's supposed to be in it. You know, that's that's kind of on them. Um, you know, I I think now, you know, now we have curators, we have researchers, we have people that can watch the game and see it on a far more far more regular sense with it. But I I think it's, it's another part of it boils down to what is the Hall of Fame's or not now, but what was the Hall of Fame's kind of story? And that story was that the game was invented in 1839 in Abner Doubleday's cow pasture. And they had to stick with that story, you know, for the longest time. And by the time it became readily apparent that that was not really the case, you know, players of the 19th century kind of got forgotten about. And it was time to think more in the modern sense. So, like I said, I think it's long overdue that Doc Adams goes in. I still don't know what what's the holdup now, um, other than you know we can only do one person at a time from that. Like we can only do one person at a time every ten years. Like like it's an eclipse or something. You know, just it doesn't make sense to me at all. Uh, why isn't Lou Whitaker in the Hall of Fame? Because <laughs> he was not particularly nice to the writer. <laughs> Again, it goes back to the the writers, like the people that saw it. I think, you know, nowadays, keeping keeping the Hall of Fame in the hands of the Writers Association is, to me, a a grossly outdated philosophy. Um, the Baseball Writers Association um, were you know, I mean, we're definitely important in the 1930s, but when you get into the television era, like, you know, we, we can see these players too. We know who's performing. I mean, just look a few years ago with uh, with Dan Levitard, who had a vote and then chose to sell it for, you know, I would argue for, for I know you're a Miami softie right now, but. Uh, I remember this. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, I mean, he, he stole his vote uh, and subsequently got it taken away from him. Like, you know, or we could just do what every other Hall of Fame does, which is you consult a committee of, you know, writers, curators, historians, researchers, and, you know, let's let's figure it out. You know, there, there will always be discussions. There will always be debates and arguments. Um, but, you know, people like Doc Adams belong there. People like Lou Whitaker, you know, you look at statistically, like Lou Whitaker should be in there. And I think he will have his day. Um, it, it's just going to be a while. Remember when Lou Whitaker forgot his jersey for the All-Star game? Yes, I have heard that story before. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. <laughs> Not like today where it's like, you know, everything is hand provided to you. Like, no, man, you, yeah, you got to, Baseball's a funny time. I mean, we're talking about this is a sport where the, you know, the athletes would ride on the subway between New York and Brooklyn, uh, you know, for, you know, for games in, in that area. And like, so when the game got over, you got on the train and you headed home, you could ride home with, you know, the, you know, the backup second baseman and stuff like that. Like it's just that, that's kind of what endears baseball to the average person is that these guys, where originally they're just regular people like you and me. And that's what we're talking about here in 1867, that these guys are, these are, are not professional ball players. Chadwick vehemently hates that idea or the idea of playing for money. Um, that was actually a story, not to segue from your question here, but 
Sure. It reminded me, I was just reading something today about a game in Michigan between the Capitals of Lansing and the Sheridans of Mason. Uh, I think the Capitals won, but it was for a $25 prize because it was like second in the like middle Michigan, whatever, whatever. And Chadwick goes on to say, in the future, please do not play games with cash prizes because that's not something we want to encourage. And if you do it again, we are not going to print your scores. Play for play for trophies, play for pennants, play for flags, but do not play for cash. We will not support that. So, you know, baseball is, you know, funny game. You know, two years ago, forgetting your jersey, like something that could feasibly happen today. No, man, there's handlers and people all over the place that would take care of that. You know, the the Hall of Fame inducted their first class in 1936, and Chadwick was elected in 1938. But when they elected their first group in 1936, the rule was it was for players who played after 1900 who started their career after 1900. So everything up until 1900, when they very first started the Hall of Fame, was considered forgotten about. And then you can see only two years later, they changed their mind on that somehow because Chadwick is in. Uh, You being a a baseball trivia guy, can you tell me who the first first five members of the Baseball Hall of Fame were? Uh, I know number one was Ty Cobb. Uh, I feel like Babe Ruth was in it. Uh, Honus Wagner, Christy Mathewson. Oh, I'm going to say Walter Johnson. Very good. Look at that. Five for five. You should see me when I'm sober. (laughs) Uh, so a total of 226 ballots were cast by members of the Baseball Writers Association of America with 170 votes needed for election. And that's how they ran the very first class of the Baseball Hall of Fame. So if you're wondering if the writers have always been associated with the Hall of Fame, yes. Uh, but like Jeff said... What about, well, what about you? What about you, Beryl? I mean, do you agree with the system of of the writers still doing it like and if not who do you think should i think a panel would be fine uh writers the thing is is they're not paying attention to anything but their own team for the most part uh i i will give you the example of college football and the coaches poll those coaches aren't watching those games they're not watching those (laughs) other teams why is there a coach's poll when they're too concerned about coaching their team and playing every Saturday? Do you th- mm-hmm. Does everybody think they on Sunday they just start watching videotape of the other games that happened at the time of their games? No, they don't know. They don't care. They care about their team, the teams in their conference, and the teams are fighting uh, if they're in the national championship playoff pitcher what those teams do uh, and they might do some advanced scouting of those teams. But other than that, they don't know what West Virginia did last week. And yet we're doing this coaches poll. It, so I just think, 
you know, I'm a big believer in that government got a little bit too big. And I feel, I feel like America does that with everything. Everything gets a little too big. It's not necessary. Uh, the, Once you discover you can make money, hey, go for it. Well, yeah, but it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, we don't have... I would say if you want to include the writers to be the Hall of Fame voters, okay, let's not take it away from them because that's probably too extreme. Let's just have a panel. Let's just mm-hmm. have a panel of... I mean... Seriously, everything in this country seems to be run by old guys. And they don't watch a certain... It's, baseball writers are just not watching. Like, you brought up Levitar, Greg Cody of the Miami Herald. He's not watching the Seattle Mariners. He wouldn't know. He has a baseball vote. He also has a baseball vote in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he doesn't know anything about the Seattle Mariners. He's too busy with the Miami sports scene. So... Why don't we make a panel of guys whose job it is to find out who belongs in the Hall of Fame and who doesn't? And that's what their job is. And It feels like a boys club, doesn't it? Yeah. Like you said, Lou Whitaker possibly not in because he wasn't the greatest interview in the world. Why is that a factor? Because I had to get my story in. I had to get my story in at 7 a.m. And I needed quotes. And Lou Whitaker was too busy to give me quotes when he went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts and probably didn't want to talk to people. Well, I needed him to talk to me so I could do my job. Yeah, that that has nothing to do with it, though. I understand how people, I agree. I agree. How people are. and uh, But that, you know, an unbiased panel. That's all you need. You know, a majority. Do you get a majority vote? You know, uh, a panel of nine. You know, do you get five votes? You're in. It's just everything's too complicated nowadays. Uh, What did you say what you thought about this current situation? Uh, I mean, yeah, I kind of alluded to it, but I'm in agreement with you. I think... uh, like I said, the, the Writers Association, it's it's very much this this boys club of like we all get together, we have this vote because we've been writers for so long that makes us important. Um, you know, but then you get into the arguments of like, well, what about the steroid guys? Like, ah, uh, well, and you know, you've been been wavering on it for so long. Now you start to see people like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, their vote numbers starting to get higher and higher and higher. Like, well, are we, you know, what's, what's the story there? The older guys are dying. They're getting replaced by younger guys. Remember like that, the steroids era was the era that saved, you know, the the baseball the 94 strike was poison and, Mark McGuire and Sandy Sosa chasing the home run brought people back. Granted, you know, as we come to find out, allegedly juiced to the gills, but then you could say, well, then who wasn't? Like, oh, I don't know. Was Ken Griffey? Was Frank Thomas? You know, was Barry Bonds version one? The best, so, the best uh, example of that is Albert Pujols, okay? Because mm-hmm. I think everyone assumes Albert Pujols was on steroids. But there's never been any proof. His name has never even been linked into anything. 
So, right. So he was in the era of steroids and everybody was taking it. And he was too. He just was smarter or whatever. And, uh, so he, and he also lied about his age and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he's going to go directly into the hall of fame. And, uh, cause he was smarter. I don't, I don't, uh, that's there's so much gray area here because then you got to look at guys like Pudge Rodriguez who got who he got busted for it, but he's in. Um, Big Poppy, he got he got knocked once, but he's in. You know, likable. Is it only a they're all likable? Barry Bonds is not likable. Roger Clemens is not likable. Uh, mm-hmm. You know that that is a that is a factor. I mean, it goes right back to what you were saying a while ago about Lou Whitaker. And uh, it's too bad. What's your... And then I think this... What do you think they should do? I think this is like a thing with... Um, I, I don't... You know, what is the solution? Because the moment that you, you change the system is, you know, people are expecting, like, if you ch- take the Hall of Fame and you change it up to, like, okay, we're, get, we're, we're redoing it. They're going to say, oh, we're redoing it? Barry Bonds going in? Is Roger Clemens going in? Is Mark McGuire going in? And if you say, no, they are not, then they're going to say, well, then what are you changing? What's different about it? With baseball, that's going to be the thing. Is like, are you going to take it out of the writer's hands? Whose hands are you going to put it in? And what's the system? Because there's a bunch of us in the vintage baseball community that have been asking for, for Doc Adams. You know, poor, poor Marjorie was fighting fighting for her family for so so long and rightfully deserved to see dot go in and didn't and you know this is such a you know a, a horrid instance where it it should have been different um you change the system then you know you really gotta revamp and i think right now we're at a point where if you say we're changing how people get into the baseball hall of fame the default question will be, what about the steroids guys? So let me ask you this as we'll hit the Hall of Fame one more time and then we'll we'll try to circle back around to Chadwick. If I it's something I always wanted to do, by the way. I think I brought it up like two seasons ago. If if you were to just start from scratch, right, and you can obviously can't do that with the baseball hall of fame. It is what it is to to this day, and that's fine. But if you were a different entity, not Major League Baseball, say, I don't know, the Roller Alterboro Vintage Baseball Podcast, and you said, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to redo the draft from the beginning, from the beginning, and we're going to act like we're in that year. So so every week, is, as opposed to every year, every week you're uh, – inducting people into the hall of fame. Okay. Uh, Jeff, who would get your votes to go into the first class of hall of fame? The only rules are is we're going to start the first, (laughs) the, you, you don't have to have a, uh, you can't elect people out of order. You know what I mean? So there'd have to be, and we don't have time to do that, but there'd have to be like, we'd have to start at the beginning. And so major league baseball started at 1900. 
you you had to play after 1900. And I would say take that regulation off. There's no regulation, uh, but you can't go past a certain year because we're starting way at the beginning. So you can't say, oh, Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, no, we have to pretend like we're going all the way back in time to 1938. Okay, but there's no rule about who you can vote for. Who would be getting your votes? If you were to elect five, Mm, we'll start writing some people down. Um, so you got to look for like people that had an impact on the game and who helped in uh, who helped in changing uh, the game for the future. Uh, so. <laughs> For the very first class, uh, so I, I would go, I would say Henry Chadwick because of what he's able to do to expand the game going forward and getting more eyes and ears uh, on it. I would do Doc Adams for what he's able to do for the rules and for the creation of, you know, among other things, the shortstop. You know, the, the man was like literally made a position that is like, not only just a part of the game, but it's an it is a dang important part of the game. So uh, Doc Adams goes in for me. Uh, I'd say Harry Wright uh, for what he does for you know you hate to say it, but for professionalism, you know being paid to play the game is is, is a big deal with that. So I I look for Harry Wright um, for his his role early on. I would probably give a, a nod, especially if I can't. Uh, if I if I can't go back, you know, further, I'd probably have to say Alex Cartwright, and this is this is a tough one because he would probably be the guy that maybe I wouldn't. Uh, he would probably miss the cut, uh, but if I once we go past this time, I can't go back. I got to put him in now, and the other guy would probably be Jim Creighton uh, for what he did to revolutionize pitching uh, for. I don't want to say he introduced swift pitching, but he definitely made swift pitching sexy. Um, and then to then in turn, you know, for his legacy, the, the way that he passed, how, how revered he was, uh, you know, because of that, I think I would got to, I got to lean towards him. I, I would, you know, the only thing that I, I kind of struggle with, uh, is the, the inclusion of somebody either from either the, like, like a, a, a fleet walker uh, for you know, kind of bringing the game to people of color or some, or a representative from the Pythians of Philadelphia uh, for somebody who, you know, groups that tried to provide baseball to people who otherwise couldn't, you know, were, were basically like outcasted from the game for reasons that were out of their control and for, you know, downright unfortunate reasons. So, so yeah, so that'd be my five. With you know, if if I could go back, you know, I probably would go with the Pythians or Fleet Walker. But if once I move past it, I can't go back. I guess I I got to do Alex Cartwright. So that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, would you be interested in us doing that as a weekly segment, where 
We would discuss who we elected the week before. Uh, we'll do it on, uh, say, a poll on in the Facebook group. And you could come up with, this is right up your alley. You come up with 10 names, right? 10 names of who is up for election in our the 10 names of the decade. Uh, can we, should Was we do like, decades? How many decades would that be? That would be like four, 14. That would be like 16, 17 at the most 17. I'm thinking. Yeah. So I mean, it's kind of, we're kind of figuring it out and yeah, maybe of the decade or the, of the thought like of a five year period or something, but yeah, we want to you know, spread it out. We want it to last an entire year. All the way from uh, the end of this season to the end of next season. We want it to last an entire year. And I think five people a week would get inducted. We're spitballing right now. We're throwing something against the wall to see if it sticks. Yeah. Could you? Yeah, let me. Uh... Let me just cross out some of the notes that I had saved for our interview. <laughs> if we came up with a list, if you came up with a list, because, well, let's face it, you you know you would have a good idea about this, and people could definitely comment on the poll of somebody they think should be, you know, you know how this conversation would go. You know, <laughs> you know. Somebody shouldn't be in. Somebody should be in. That's what it's all about. That's it's conversational. It's a hall of fame, not a hall of meh. right. So, do over hall yeah, of do over. I could <laughs> <laughs> the hall of redo. The yeah, re- I mean, let me let me talk to. I'll put you in contact with my agent. Uh, we'll talk uh, research fees, salary fees. Um, you know, as a man who is a, uh, you know, a dedicated public school teacher, you know, my, my time is valuable. We will, <laughs> I, I think a good way to do it is you would get popular vote through a poll on Facebook. Uh, Rudy would get votes. You would get votes. I would get votes. Landon Smith would get votes. And I'd say we should offer this to Paul Hunkley. Uh, and really get his baseball Paul, Paul's juices. Paul's Henry Chadwick. He's, he's the honorary member. Paul's our, our Henry Chadwick of this. And uh, I think that'd be fun. Elect five guys every week. And, uh, you know, that would be great discussion uh, throughout us through personal chats and everything about how could you vote for this person, but you didn't vote for this person and, and uh, yeah. all of that. But But really limit the names, you know, like 10 worthy people, mm-hmm. you know, like a name like Ian Kinsler would never show up on this list. <laughs> you shut your mouth about your Ian Kinsler. Barbara, Did you see that man's pants? Barbara Garbay would never show up on this list. I went to a baseball camp put on by Barbara Garbay. He gave me a trophy. So... <laughs> You shut your slanderous mouth about Barbara Garvey too. Is there a Detroit Tiger name I could name? Is there a name I could do where you'd be like, yeah, yeah. 
Like Cleet Thomas will yeah. never be on this list. <laughs> oh, I forgot about Cleet Thomas. Oh, you, can't, you can't knock a guy named Cletus. Come on. No, uh, Ramon Santiago. You can you can bash Ramon Santiago all you want because he no showed an autograph show at Greenfield Village, and I had to tell uh, several hundred people with Ramon Santiago paraphernalia that he is not showing up, and I was not very popular on that day. So you may slander Ramon Santiago all you want. But I will not because he was my tiger. I loved utility guys. <laughs> Look, when I interviewed Andrew Romine, I wasn't lying. I always go to utility guys. Shane Halter, Andrew Romine, Ramon Santiago, Tony Phillips. I mean, these are my guys. Well, I, mean, I understand. I mean, you, need, you need a tool for every job. Whoa. But Ramon Santiago is a different kind of tool. Whoa. So we should never get him on the show? <laughs> No, <laughs> uh, you can put Rudy on on that episode. I'll, oh, uh, I'll find something to do. Where's the right. fun in that? Hey, uh, <laughs> is there anything in your notes and in your reading about Chadwick that we didn't cover that you really uh, think people should know? So the yeah, there's there's the big one uh, that I I really wanted to kind of dig into with him. Um, actually, I mean, there's a few, but the, I think the kind of the biggest one is uh, something we've kind of alluded to, and that's the origin of the game. Um, Chadwick is a guy who made no bones about it that baseball is not this game that was, you know, organically grown from the ground, like, say, basketball. Like, basketball, you can point to where and when and by who, and like, everything is set, and that's beautiful for basketball good for them volleyball is kind of the same way baseball is it's not an invention it's, it's something that kind of materialized through differing types of stick and ball games um and so chadwick is a guy that said no this this is an english game that has had different ingredients thrown in we stir it up and out comes baseball and he's more than happy to make baseball, you know, the national game and dedicate his life to its growth and its expansion. And then you get Albert Goodwill Spaulding, who comes in and says, absolutely not. I refuse to accept that. This game is an American invention. We need, it, it, we need an American origin for this game. It is, it is truly our greatest game. Football, um, you know, we're talking late 19th century professional football is nowhere near the Stanley cup doesn't get awarded until 1893 uh, basketball barely created in the 1890s. Like baseball is the game, you know, boxing uh, Chadwick has gone up and down, you know, boxing and horse racing are really the only equivalent sports of any sort of American origin. And you don't want to take your wife or your daughters to a horse racing, you know, event or a boxing event. That's, there's gambling. There's, you know, all kinds of stuff going on there. So Spalding wants to make this an American game. Chadwick is the one saying, "Well, oh, this is an English game. Um, and so the way that those two, like, they respected each other. Uh, you know, Chadwick wrote very favorably of Spalding. And Spalding spoke very, Spalding spoke very, positively about Chadwick, but they just, you know, the two of them could not see eye to eye uh, about that. And that's a really interesting, really interesting point there that I would have liked to have dug into a lot, a lot more there. Um, 
you could also point to like the bound rule versus fly rule. Chadwick's a big guy that wants to, you know, his big quote. Uh, I, God, I'm trying to, I want to find it again. But it's one that we use at, Hen- the, at the, the Henry Ford all the time uh, about like catching a ball on the bound is something that no 10-year-old boy should be proud of. Uh, and so like that, that in turn kind of leads into like, you know, the bound rule game versus the fly rule game, which, you know, Chadwick is trying to, you know, speak up to. So there's, there's a lot of things he even brings up his brother, Andrew brings up his, uh, Chadwick's brother and how Chadwick is a, Chadwick's brother is a big, you know, purveyor of like environmentalism and being healthy and getting outside more of uh, connections to sanitation and temperance and so many good good points that are, are brought up here that I think any American history teacher that is listening that likes vintage baseball, like this is a great read. And there are things that you're going to look at and hear and you're going to go, Ooh, I teach that. Ooh, that's, I do that. And so, yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of stuff here, but I think those two, the other one, Oh, I'm sorry, Matt. The last one I want to bring up okay. is that um, there's a connection that, uh, that shift makes to the movie Moneyball and the, the book Moneyball. Um, the author, and I, I even wrote these quotes down when I saw them here. Uh, Michael Lewis calls Chadwick polarizing uh, and said that his statistics were screwed up. And so I, I hear that, and I really would have loved to have asked him to elaborate, like, you know, what Schiff thinks when, uh, when Michael Lewis of Moneyball, you know, who you're talking about Henry Chadwick, the guy who basically pioneered baseball statistics. Moneyball is nothing without baseball statistics. Like, how do you slander the guy who basically pioneered the thing that you built your empire on? You know, you've got one hook to hang your hat on. And that's statistics. Here's the guy that does it, and you you say some pretty god awful things about him. So that was that was very shocking to me, and I would have loved to have gone into more about that too. Once again, the book that we're referencing throughout this episode is "The Father of Baseball: A Biography of Henry Chadwick." The author is Andrew Schiff. Uh, you should still probably go out and purchase that book and and read up on Henry Chadwick. Uh, we actually. For being a vintage baseball podcast, we talk a lot of Doc Adams on here, but we have not talked very much Henry Chadwick. So it was nice to get into that that content and uh, be able to bring you some of that. And uh, and then you got to listen to us brainstorm about a possible uh, segment in the future. Uh, Jeff, before we, before we get everybody out of here, though, uh, I did say I wanted to talk about your five – favorite scary movies of all time i said halloween at first and then i changed it to scary because mm-hmm. the scary is really more important than the halloween uh did you mm-hmm. did you come up with this list or did were you too preoccupied with getting ready for chadwick <laughs> uh yeah i mean like like horror movies were were, were never really in my wheelhouse. I was, I'm a comedy guy. I, I love me a, a good comedy movie, but. Oh, it's you know, not I, horror I movies. A, I, it's not horror movies. Fine. 
It's scary movies. It's scary. It's di- they're different. Okay, in that case. If you think about horror movies, you're talking gore and, and that sort of uh, situation. Gross stuff, which is cool, by the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, a scary movie doesn't need any of that necessarily. It could be one of those. But it, it it might not be. So let me go first. As you continue to think, I'll give you some more time. Uh, number five on my list is an actual somewhat new movie, and I referenced it, uh, I think, the last time we were recording, but it's a movie called Pearl. So Pearl is a movie that's part of a trilogy. It, uh, Pearl is the first one that came out first. Then there was a sequel called Triple uh, X, I believe. Uh, and then there's going to be another one that comes out in the future called Maxine, I believe. Uh, Maya Goth is the star of Pearl, and it's done, I swear to God, it is done. And I tried to explain this to my wife as I watched it again uh, the other night. I rented it on, like, uh, Amazon Prime. And uh, it's done in, like, a Wizard of Oz kind of feel. Like, there's definite references, not spoken references, but there's definite areas, like she rides around on her bike, the star, and she looks like the Wicked Witch, even though she's not dressed up like the Wicked Witch totally, but she kind of is, and it just reminds you of Wizard of Oz. There's a scarecrow scene that reminds you somewhat of the Wizard of Oz. And uh, the way the camera the film that they use, it just reminds me so much of that. And I know that the, the movie they came out with after that was done in the style of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously. So, uh, it was, it's a movie that made me very uncomfortable and there is gore, not a lot. Uh, there's more uncomfortable than anything else in that movie. And I loved it. I, I loved how uncomfortable it made me all the way up through the scene during the rolling credits at the end of the movie which uh, it's just weird, and uh, I loved it, and I highly recommend Pearl, and uh, the other the the movie that they did a uh, after that, they filmed them at the same time because they all take place on the same farm uh, overseas somewhere. Uh, that was okay, but Pearl was awesome to me. So that's number five on my scariest movies of all time. Jeff, are you there? Jeff was offended by the fact that Pearl was my number five movie and he left the room. Not a Maya Goth fan. Mia, Maya. You say Mia, I say Maya. I don't know which one it is. It's probably Mia. Mia Goth. Now that I think about it. I saw some other movies with her too. She's, But in this Pearl movie, she's perfect. It's a, uh, it's truly something special. And Sorry, there's... I thought you were doing like I thought you were doing like the whole list, and I was. <laughs> I was... Nope, just so, number five. So now you can okay, give us number, number five. five. My number five. All right. So my number five is one that um, you. Know, that was like it's one of those ones that you kind of. Uh, 
you're not sure why you're seeing it and it just kind of haunts you for like the rest of your life and um you know it, it occupies like a, a part of your existence that you don't want to ever go back to um it is a it's the 2001 release of the movie glitter starring mariah carey uh, this is a movie that uh you know i i i experienced you don't watch it you experience it um and it, it's one of those things where it, it's almost like a like an infestation like it, it, it latches onto you and you feel just like you feel dirty for watching it and then when you get done you feel even dirtier um because you you willfully stomach that whole thing so yes mariah carey's 2001 release of glitter uh, that's my number five scariest movie that i've ever seen it's your list uh i'm surprised it's so low my fourth uh is one of my favorite movies of all time it's aliens the sequel to alien uh i think alien the first one was a great movie but aliens had so many aliens in it it just freaked me out uh there's a scene when they are trapped inside a room have you seen the movie aliens jeff with sigourney weaver yes Yes, I have. There is a scene when uh, they've had to uh, board themselves up in a certain area of the complex that they're in, and all of a sudden they're getting readings that the aliens are, are coming, and they're coming, and they're, they've got their equipment out there and their radar, and they're like, it's they're, the equipment must be reading wrong because they'd be inside the room if they were that close. And then they decide to look up in the ceiling, and they lift open some of the ceiling panels and they just see dozens of these things crawling on the, on the ceiling to, and then start falling through the ceiling panel. So that, that scene right there freaked me out for a long time. And, uh, but Bill Paxton, uh, awesome. Uh, one of my favorite trivias of all time is the fact that the woman who plays, uh, the Hispanic soldier, in Aliens is also uh, the the redhead who plays the mother of the two young children on the Titanic when it's sinking and she's reading them a story, and <laughs> and she's also one of the cops in the Lethal Weapon movies, and she's also John Connor's stepmother uh, in Terminator Two. Uh, the redhead in that in that scene, she's only in a couple of scenes because she bites it. But she's good at dying. She does it in just about every movie. In fact, every movie I just listed, she dies in. So, uh, but yeah, great movie, uh, Aliens 2. Jeff Kozlowski, number four. So, uh, you know, I'm, so I'm trying to cleanse my palate uh, from from glitter. And so I'll, I'll go back to the, uh, you know, the ones that I... I uh, I'm a little more familiar with. So my number four, uh, I'm, I'm more on like the psychological side. Uh, I, I love like the movies that just mess with my head. Um, and for me, like the big one for that is uh, Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Uh, that is Silence of the Lambs is one that I think Anthony Hopkins is absolutely fantastic in that movie. Just the way that he just he stares into the camera, especially the scene 
where he and uh, Jodie Foster are like, they're not even in the same room when they literally film it, but they are like staring at each other. And Anthony Hopkins just on the big screen, just staring right through you, you know, asking you to remember these horrible memories. And like, even though, yeah, you may not have been there when the lambs were screaming, but to have this guy like staring at you and just like, recall your deepest darkest event like who that sends a chill so yeah silence of the lambs is my number four it's a very good uh it's a very good movie it's a very good choice uh i am surprised it followed glitter i was expecting you to go somewhere else but <laughs> uh you you certainly couldn't argue with that my number three is uh also one of my favorite movies of all time it's the original halloween movie the original michael myers movie mm-hmm. Uh, yep. so creepy. Uh, they don't use a lot of blood in that movie. Very little. Uh, they didn't want to use any, but they used very little. And, uh, it's a, it was originally supposed to be called the babysitter killer. Babysitter killer would have been appropriate, but they wouldn't have got, I, I don't know. Once they made it a Halloween thing, I think that was just as good as the Michael Myers part of the movie. So. I just saw this with my wife over the weekend when I was down working at the haunt. Uh, we drove to Ann Arbor and uh, they they were showing this at the uh, Sinmark in Ann Arbor. So uh, what a time. What a time to be alive. Uh, Jeff Kozlowski, number three. So I know I just said I'm really into psychological movies. Uh, <laughs> my number three is absolute just murder porn uh is the original saw oh. uh the the saw series like this is they always used to come out right around halloween which is one of my good friends uh uh was his birthday right on that time and so that's what we'd always do we'd always you know we'd go to the bar take him out to drinks and then we'd go catch the new saw movie and like you see everybody else is like on first dates and just the like, gasps and and all this and we're just laughing our asses off the whole time watching these people that truly probably deserve it uh just getting horrifyingly mutilated like excellent excellent uh but i like the i do like the first one i think it, it really is like they they caught you off guard it's very kind of sick sensey that you, you didn't see it coming and bam, it hits you like, oh, that guy that's been dead on the ground, he's not actually dead. Oh, by the way, he's got a lot of connections and ties and, you know, every sort of thing that you didn't really think could happen just does. And it really does mess with you, um, you know, going forward. So, yeah, my uh, that's my number three. Is I, I could have picked a lot of the saws, but the, the further on you get in the series, the more they're, they're like, what's what's the most horrifying way we could outdo ourselves? And I think the first one really kind of set the stage for it. So I would go with that one. Uh, as my list goes on, you're going to see how old I truly am as uh, Pearl is the only one that's relatively new on my list. Uh, number two is John Carpenter's the thing with Kurt mm-hmm. Russell. Uh, my God the things they were doing with the makeup and the, the gore back then making these mutated aliens transforming into humans, the things they were doing were so far ahead of their time. Uh, Mm -hmm. Freaks. 
that movie freaked me out so many times. Uh, it's so it's good. It's just so good. There's a lot of people that went on to have great careers in acting in that movie. And, uh, I never, I never stop. I, if I'm flipping and it's on, it's, it's a stopper, uh, no matter where it is in the movie. And that mm. this is a movie that actually had a, a prequel come out within the last, I think it was within like the last six years. Uh, that is also a good movie that leads right up to the thing to give you an idea of what happened before that. So uh, you can't go wrong with the thing. I think it's on many lists voted one of the scariest movies of all time. So uh, I love it. Jeff's number two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because mine are, mine are a little more contemporary. I'm, I'm glad we're kind of doing this on two different sides, but I think all your picks are, are, are excellent picks. Um, my number two um, is the movie Seven uh, with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman on it. You know, any time where it's like you know, like you have an inkling for where it's going, but it just takes you in a completely different direction with it. You know, the way that they utilize Kevin Spacey um, as John Doe with it, like this, again, just the, the thought process and, and how they're doing is, is really really well done and it's almost like it's kind of like saw in that you're somebody's being punished or you're being told you know what's wrong with you while you're while the investigation is going on so yeah i uh i would go i would go seven as my number two uh your list is very good except for glitter i've never seen it uh don't it's 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 the sort of thing that uh, it will it like I said, it's an infestation. It, it changes your DNA. Okay. I will never see it. But <laughs> a movie like Seven is exactly what this list is. I mean, if I did if I did a top 20, Seven saw Silence of the Lambs. They're all in there. Uh, those, are, those are great guests uh, or uh, great movies for this list. Uh, number one, uh, Die Hard. Jeff, your number one scary movie of all time. <laughs> uh, my <laughs> boy, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, my my number one, and I, I want to give a well, no, I don't want to. Uh, my number one is The Ring. Uh, oh, yeah. It is a, uh, not only just like you know, you you know, like the seven days and the the, the call that comes and you know, the watching of this video, it's like, it, it encapsulates this thing. Like you're not supposed to do, it's like the, the button, like the button that says, don't push this button. And it's just sitting there staring at you. Here's this video that says, don't watch this video. And yet you can't help yourself and you do. And then to get the reveal of the person crawling out of the television. Um, yeah. It's just the, the way that they do it. it it's like, it's, it's creepy. It's psychological. Like, it is. It's one of those movies that, and I don't. I don't think. I think it. It used to get the love that it deserved. I don't think it does anymore. But, you know, on the psychological side, for me, that that's always one that I think back to and go, "Ooh, yeah, that was good." Oh, golly. Uh, most people are going to like your list better than mine. However, your list does not have Die Hard. Holly Gennaro scared. Ellis scared. <laughs> All of the people at the Christmas party scared because it's scary. 
I mean, look, you, you can't go. It, it, it's a movie. And this is this is one of those things. I, I know we're you know it, it's the end of the end of a long long day here, but you know Bruce Willis has gone on record as saying that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Well, of course he wouldn't, but we're not going to have that conversation today, Jeff. Uh, Save but, it for the Christmas episode. But Die Hard uh, is actually not my number one. That's just how I feel in my heart. But the scariest movie to me of all time is Jaws. And that's because yeah. the biggest thing yeah. about Jaws to me is the shark wouldn't work. So he had to film the movie in a different way than he was going to, which probably made his career. And you just have to use theater mm-hmm. of the mind and theater of the mind mm-hmm. scares me in that movie. And uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I know I said, when the thing comes on TV, everything stops. Same with Jaws. Uh Wow. And uh, Richard Dreyfuss, so good. Uh, everybody else, so good. Uh, it's uh, it's it's like my favorite movie of all time, except for Die Hard. So it's probably like number two, if we want to. Really- I mean, and they do a, they do a great job of they don't reveal the shark, and and like you said, yeah, it's for you know technical issues. Poor Bruce wasn't working, uh, but yeah, for through as a result of that, like, yeah, we're just, we're going to, we're not going to reveal the shark until well after the fact, we're going to throw you, you know, the proverbial curveball for this. It's like, in, you know, neither of us mentioned psycho, um, you know, but you're talking about a major film star getting iced in, you know, early on in the movie. Like you were, you didn't see that coming. You know, that's, I think to me, it's what makes a great movie, you know, psychological horror comedy action. It's the timing. You can get that right. You got a movie that's going to be remembered forever. Damn, you're smart. All right. That's going to do it for us uh, this week. You I'm sober. Uh, happy Halloween to everybody. Thanks for listening. You got some Chadwick. Uh, I wish we could have brought you more, uh, but we're really going to start. Uh, sending some up. Uh, we uh, we got Zach Ford coming up. I just got a message from him. Zach Ford's coming on the show in the future uh, to talk about his book called Up. We also got, oh, Jeff, I was talking to you about this guy. Uh, there's a book by the name of Baseball's Bastards that's coming out or did come out just very recently. Howard Rosenfeld, I believe, is the gentleman's name. God, I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should I say that out loud? What if I'm wrong about that? Anyway, Professor Rosenfeld. I should have said that because I'm 100% sure of that. Uh, he has written a book about everyone knows the 1919 uh, White Sox scandal in the World Series, but there are a lot of other scandals that happened in World Series play, including 1934, that involves the Detroit Tigers. So we're going to get into some of the other World Series scandals with him, and that's going to be on December 18th at this point. Uh, and then in the meantime, between that, we got an all-wives edition that Jeff and I are currently trying to put together that involves our wives and a couple of the the ladies well, it's not a wives edition. That's the wrong name to give it to it right now. Some wives, but there's a, well, it's mostly wives the and a lady, player. The ladies. 
the ladies. The ladies. We're, uh, you won't hear any of us. It'll be all women talking about vintage baseball from all their different points of view of playing, of going to support their husbands. Uh, there'll be some people that are bored by vintage baseball, and there'll be some people who keep score. And <laughs> all different talks, uh, walks of life, and we're just going to let turn the microphones on and, and let them go. So uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, Jeff, thanks for coming on three weeks in a row thinking you were going to talk uh, about yeah. about Chadwick, and tonight you got to? Yeah. Boy, it, it hurts. It hurts. How do you guys do this three weeks in a row? Harvey Rosenfeld. Oh, Jeff, you went through the chat to tell me I was wrong, to correct me. It's Harvey well, Rosenfeld. I, you didn't. You didn't have to say it out loud. I no, but I'm not afraid of making mistakes. I don't have that kind of ego. Life is mistakes. The only way you get smarter in life is by making mistakes. That's a fact. You don't get wisdom without failings. So I the feel best, like the best people in the Baseball Hall of Fame have failed seven out of ten times. Yeah. Uh, I can't help but feel like every time I do something wrong, I'm a better person for it. That's might not be true, but I, it's how I should feel. No, completely true. 100% true. All right, Don't Jeff. Don't yourself short. <laughs> Jeff, send everybody home, would you? All right. Hey, everybody. It's been great chatting with you. You know, sometimes when, uh, you know, when life throws you a curveball, you got to close your stance. Uh, choke up and then send the ball to the opposite field and that's what we kind of did here today so we thank you for hanging out with us we wish you all a uh, a pleasant evening a pleasant morning whenever you are uh, listening to us right here uh, but we encourage you to strike well and uh, keep the gloves off everybody take care hurrah glitter <laughs>